0: Today we're going to continue our study in Leviticus, primarily in chapter 23. So if you have your Bible with you, you might turn to Leviticus 23. We're going to talk about the feasts of the Lord. The feasts of the Lord. You can also read about this in Numbers 28 and 29. And so you might want to flip over there uh, some as well. Uh, The feasts of the Lord. Uh, this is a, a fascinating study. There are seven sacred feasts that the Lord commanded his people to observe. Now before I get into this, as you read through Leviticus and you're going to read about when these feasts occurred, you're going to read some names of uh, months that you probably never heard of, you're going to read about uh, numbers of days within various months and everything and man it can get very confusing and one of the the reasons it's confusing is because the Jews basically had two calendars and uh, they had a sacred calendar you remember uh, in Exodus chapter 12 whenever uh, God had them observe the Passover uh, remember the Passover is what was going to uh, be the great event where all the lambs were slain uh, in the households of the children of Israel. And this was going to wind up allowing them to escape over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So, this is one of the most single important moments in the history of their nation. They spent 430 years as slaves. And now God. When they thought for so long that God had abandoned them, God had forsaken them, and now God shows up. Uh, Remember, he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and that led to a series of events that brought them to the fateful night when the firstborn of every person, the firstborn in every family, the firstborn of every animal was going to die. It was the worst, the most horrific of the ten plagues that God put on Egypt. And the only people that were not going to lose their firstborn were the people that obeyed God's instructions. And so they were to sacrifice a lamb, they would to take the blood of the lamb, and they would smear it on the doorposts. And when the death angel came, When God saw the blood of the Lamb, the death angel was instructed to pass over them, hence the name Passover. And so they escaped death in their families. They escaped the death of every firstborn child and and even animal. And so it was quite an event. And it was, remember, at the end of that, when Pharaoh lost his firstborn child, that finally he relented, he had enough, he gave in, he caved in, and he said, let him go, get him out of here. In fact, we'll pay you to leave. And so that's what happened. And it was at that moment where God said, you're going to start a new life. A life of freedom. And so you are going to mark your calendar by this day. This is your new year. This is the beginning of a new existence. And so you will read, depending on uh, uh, what you're reading and where you're reading, you will read about the month of Abib and Nisan, Nisan. Basically, that would always occur in March or April, okay? (laughs) For us, to help you understand, that's when it would occur. However, there's another calendar that comes into play, and this was called the civil calendar, and basically it was based on the agricultural seasons. In fact, it was a lunar calendar, okay? Now, the Gregorian calendar is what we currently use throughout the world today, okay? It is a solar calendar. It is a calendar that was adopted in the 16th century, and we measure time by the movements of the sun. And actually, we learn it. it's not the movement of the sun, is it? It's the movement of the earth rotating around the sun. But anyway, uh, that, that's how it got uh that's where it came from and, and and that's how we measure our time today but in an agricultural calendar they measured the year by the different seasons and it was based on the lunar calendar and so by that calendar the first of the year, the new year, would be sometime in September or October because it fluctuated. It, it, it would move a little bit. You know how Christmas moves? Uh, one, one year it might be on a Friday, and the next year it might be on a, or, or you know, three years later it might be on a Wednesday or something. You know? And, and uh, the New Year's Day and Easter and, and all of these kinds of things, you know, they can be on different days of the week. And so you're going to run into that when you look at these feasts And you're going to be a little bit confused, uh, but just don't worry about it, okay? (laughs) They had two calendars, and that's why it's confusing, and different uh, names of months and all that. So, there were seven feasts of the Lord. And the interesting thing about the number seven is that, at least in the English Standard Version, it is found 42 times in the book of Leviticus, so in our inductive Bible study, you know, one of, the, one of the things we look for is repetition. And when we see a word repeated over and over and over and over again in a text of scripture, hello, we need to take, stop and take a look at that word. It is important. It means something. And so in Jewish numerology, the number seven is probably the most significant number because it represents completion it record it it represents wholeness you know it takes us back to genesis it takes us back to creation in six days God created the earth and on the seventh day he rested and everything we read just about of these sevens in the book of Leviticus points you back to creation it points you back to creation And it it is incredible how much the Bible has to say about the Sabbath, and quite frankly, I think most of us are very ignorant about the uh, importance of Sabbath. Uh, We have formulated in our minds uh, certain thoughts about it, and most of those thoughts are about dismissing it, and yet uh, it's a far, far greater subject than uh, what we realize and and uh, that's a sermon for another day but anyway these seven feasts are found in three major groupings passover pentecost and tabernacles okay passover pentecost and tabernacles and in the passover season There are actually three feasts. There's Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. And Pentecost happens 50 days after Passover. Uh, We'll talk about that briefly. And Tabernacles is in the seventh month. Now, if you remember this difference in calendar, remember? Two calendars, right? based on the sacred calendar of the deliverance, the salvation of Israel, that happened in March or April. The other calendar, the agricultural calendar, the first day of the new year, happened in September or October. Well, Passover would represent the first one and tabernacles is the second one. It's in the seventh month, the first day of the seventh month. So basically, you go six months and then you start another, you have a new year again. And six months later, you have another new year. I know that's confusing. <laughs> but these are the seven feasts. Passover happens in March or April. It Signifies the beginning of the new year, based on the deliverance, the salvation of the children of Israel in Egypt. Pentecost is a whole other thing, which we'll talk about, and then Tabernacles is the first day begins the first day of the seventh month, which signals New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Okay. It's about the end of the harvest and the beginning of the planting season. So let's talk about Passover. We remember they were saved and delivered because they followed God's commands to sacrifice the land. We've talked about sacrifices a lot over the last uh, several weeks, so I'm not going to talk about that anymore, okay? But the fact is, it was about deliverance, rescue, freedom, and salvation. Now here's the beauty about these feasts. These feasts were for the entire nation, and the entire nation was supposed to honor these times, because these were times where they met with God. The Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. These are important because they are reminders of three of the most significant events in the history of the nation. And there is a progression through these events. There's a progression through these feasts and one kind of builds on the other and you can see your own salvation in Jesus Christ through every one of these feasts and we're going to talk about that that's what makes these feasts so interesting and so fascinating now when we think about feasts and as you read the first few verses of of Leviticus 23 it talks about these are feasts to the Lord these are his okay these are these are his he has ordained this he has called this he expected them to obey him in these things well the reason why is because they were so rich in meaning they were so rich in their history and in God's dealing with his people they were critical and so remember Passover every year when the nation would celebrate Passover and the Jews still celebrate Passover today But every year in the celebration of Passover, they retell the story. They retell the Exodus story because it is monumental. It is about who they are as a people. It's where their identity rests. And so these kinds of rituals, these ceremonies, these holidays, these feasts, festivals, whatever you want to call them, are critical because they represent who they are as the people of God. Okay? And isn't that what this is about? Isn't that exactly what this is about? And as you read there in Leviticus 23, in the English Standard Version, it says these are holy convocations. We don't use that word much, do we? What's a convocation anyway? Well, a holy convocation is a sacred assembly. It's a calling. God has called all of his people together for these festivals. Okay? These are sacred meetings. And another lesson that probably we need to to talk about is how many times in Scripture, throughout Scripture, there are holy places, there are holy places, and there are holy meetings, there are sacred spaces, there are certain times where God especially causes people to be with them, to meet with them. You know, we can say, oh, God's with us all the time. God's with us every day. He's in my heart. Yes, yes, yes. But when you are called on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day, on the day Jesus was raised from the dead to eat the body and blood of the Lord Jesus, when you are called together as a church, this is a holy convocation. This is a sacred convocation assembly. When you come up to the table to receive from the Lord, you don't talk to the guy behind you about whether or not you paid your rent. You don't talk about where we're going to go eat after the service is over. This is a holy calling by God, and we need to get that We need to understand the solemnity, the holiness, and especially the joy that's associated with these festivals, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. So they were saved by the blood, they were delivered, and guess what? As we read the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 the scripture says Jesus Christ is our passover the whole passover story of deliverance from slavery is basically telling us that in and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ we are delivered we are rescued we are saved. We are set free from sin. And if you don't think that's liberation, you just talk to someone who's struggling with addiction. You talk to someone who has a sin by them, has them uh, by the throat, and they're trapped and enslaved to their sin. And you talk about the way, as the Proverb writer says, the way of the transgressor is hard. You talk to someone who's suffered a hard, long, difficult life, and in many cases their family has abandoned them and forsaken them. They've lost their home. They've lost their jobs. They've lost everything. Yes, sin is a problem. And when God comes along out of his love and mercy and grace, and he sends his son to save us from our sin, that's something worth remembering. That's something worth celebrating. That's something worth his people, his family, getting together where we can all in one voice worship and praise him. That's something that's a big deal. And that's what Passover was about, to teach us about what Jesus Christ has done to deliver us. Well, the very next day, The very next day after the Passover feast start seven days of unleavened bread. Okay? Unleavened bread. Get the leaven out. No yeast. Well, leaven was a symbol of their old life in Egypt. And now they are beginning a new life. And so there was going to be a period of seven days representing completeness, wholeness. And in eating bread that was unleavened for a seven-day period, year after year after year after year after celebrating the Passover, it was symbolic to them of the new life that they had because of their deliverance. Unleavened bread is symbolic of a life without sin. They weren't to have any work on that day. No work. They were to make a food offering to God. Now, what's the significance of all of this in Jesus Christ? Well, you remember the story they're wandering around in the wilderness. Miraculously, bread falls down out of heaven manna comes from heaven God is feeding his people God's taking care of his people he's providing for his people he's protecting his people once he delivered them he is with them he cares for them he takes care of them and that's what we learn in Jesus Christ when we become a Christian God's going to provide God's gonna answer our prayers. God is gonna be with us. He's gonna be near us. He will take care of us. He will provide for us. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. And when we come to the table, once again, we see it it, in the Lord's table. When we come to the table and we eat from this bread, What kind of bread is it? Unleavened. Why? Because it represents sinlessness. It represents a new life. And when we take this bread and when we eat this bread, what we are doing, what we are showing, what we were revealing is the new life in Christ where we are not slaves to sin. Sin does not rule. Sin does not reign. Oh, we're going to mess up from time to time and make mistakes, and we will sin. But sin is not the dominating, controlling factor in our lives. It's not. And that's why we eat this. Because the life of Jesus, the real bread of life, is in us. Jesus said, he who eats this bread will live forever so then the first fruits after those seven days of unleavened bread however that fell on the calendar remember the Passover was on the 14th day of the first month then you count seven more days of unleavened bread and then, whatever happened to be the next Sabbath after that, the day after is the day of first fruits. And the Sabbath fell on what day? What day was the Sabbath on? Which day of the week was the Sabbath on? Yeah, yeah, Saturday, seventh day. So the next day, the next the day after, there's a feast of first fruits. So what's the next day after Sabbath? Yeah, the first day of the week. It's Sunday to us, right? So what's the deal with the feast that happens on Sunday? Oh, it's a celebration of the very first of the harvest. Now, remember, this is in March or April. This is the spring. So in in our minds, the early stuff, this might be your lettuce or your strawberries or something, you know, whatever you plant first in your garden, okay? The first thing that comes out of the garden first, you can't eat it. (laughs) You can't eat it, okay? The first thing that you harvest, you pick it. Or you pull it, or you harvest it, whatever you do, however you get it, and you take it straight to God. We give it to the Lord, see. That's the first fruit. And so what they would do, this usually had to do with the barley harvest, So far as the Jews were concerned. This is the time of year where the barley was going to be harvested. And so they would take the very first of the barley, and they would take these stalks, and they would tie them together and they the priest would take these stalks of barley and it would lift it up in the air and wave it before the Lord signifying that God we know where our barley comes from we know who gave it to us we know who created it we know who made the land that helps it grow. We know who gave us the rain. We know that what we have is all because of you. That's what that was about. We know who our provider is. We know who takes care of us. God, it is you, and you alone. It was an acknowledgement of their total dependence on God. And so, as in many of these A lamb was offered, a sacrifice of grain, food, one and a half gallons approximately of wine was poured out before the Lord. All of these things were offered to the Lord. And lo and behold, when we get to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23, in the context where the whole chapter just about talking about resurrection, resurrection from the dead, the Bible says that Jesus... When he rose from the grave is the, and, and if you don't know about Leviticus, if you don't know about the harvest, if you don't know about the feast, the words don't make a whole lot of sense. Jesus is the first fruits. What are you talking about? But if you do understand it, what you know is the one who's lifted up and waved before the Lord is Jesus. Because Jesus is your great provider. He provides for the life that we now live apart from sin. And when Jesus died on the cross and he was raised from the grave, he was the first to be raised from the dead never to die again. There were people who had been resurrected. We can read about miracles, but those people who were resurrected in the New Testament when Jesus brought somebody from the dead like Lazarus, well, Lazarus is still going to die, and he did. But the first time anybody rose from the dead never to die again was our Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the first of many. What they waved before the Lord was just symbolic of the whole harvest, see? And Jesus' resurrection is symbolic of all of us who will be raised in Christ. What a beautiful celebration, what a beautiful feast, how exciting it was for people in an agrarian society to begin the harvest, to honor God with the first of their harvest and know that we are going to be fed. Our families are going to be fed for the year. Everybody's going to be taken care of and provided for because the harvest is great. And how beautiful it is to think that as a Christian, the harvest is of souls, the resurrection of all the saved of the ages when Jesus comes back is going to be an incredible, mighty, amazing harvest. We should celebrate the thought, the prospect of what God has in store for us. So, Fifty days after Passover. What's 50 days? Seven weeks. Okay? Seven weeks. Seven sevens. Oh, boy. We're really getting the number thing now. We're not just talking about seven. We're talking about seven sevens now. And that's when this feast is to be held. And the day after is 50. And that's what Pente, Pentecost, represents 50 days after the Passover well that happens to be when the wheat began to be harvested and that was usually somewhere in May or June it lasted one day seven lambs one bull two rams two large loaves of bread were baked and waved before the Lord along with the food and wine offerings they waved the loaves of bread before the Lord and they were told leave when you when you harvest that wheat do not harvest the corners of your field you leave it you leave it for the poor this came to be a celebration of the giving of the law 50 days after they celebrated the first passover that's when Moses went up on mount sinai and received The Ten Commandments, the giving of the law. Remember what happened when Moses came down from the mountain? What did he find? He found the people worshiping a golden calf. They had built an idol and they're worshiping. You remember what happened? You remember how some of those people were punished? You remember how many people died? How many people died? 3,000 people died the Bible says on that day. On the day of Pentecost, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, were 3,000 people killed on the day of Pentecost? No. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. The law wasn't given. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people were baptized into Christ. 3,000 people were made alive you say how these feasts all point to Jesus every last one of them they point to Jesus God is so amazing for centuries and by putting these rituals of these feasts these ceremonies in place he's preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah that's what all this is about to appreciate and honor God for all that he was doing and to point them to the future when the Messiah would come. And so that's why we see Jesus fulfilling all of these feasts. Every one of these things that happen, when we get to Jesus, we see the fulfillment of it. The Feast of Tabernacles. Now remember, these first four feasts It began the first day of the first year. You count 14 days and then you have Passover. So all of this is in month number one going into month number two and number three by the time you get to Pentecost, 50 days, okay? That's it. No more feasts. They're all kind of grouped together during about the first month and a half or so, or two rather, a little over two months. And then there are no more feasts until month seven. And on the first day of month seven, which is some, again, it's a floater, so it might have been September or October on our calendars, it, it was, a, again, the Jewish new year. And this was the agricultural. So remember that we got New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And New Year's Eve, it wraps up the old year. And New Year's Day begins a new one. And so that's what was going on here. And so it starts off, the Feast of Tabernacles involves actually three feasts. And so it starts off on the first day with the Feast of Trumpets. They would take a ram's horns and they would blow them really loudly off and on all day long. Now, why in the world would they do that? What is symbolic about the blowing of the ram's horns? And what was the history behind that? Well, it was a call to all the people. It was like the tornado sirens, you know? You know, when the tornado sirens go off, they're sending a message to everybody, everybody. You need to know this. And when they blew the ram's horns, that's, this is a message to everybody. This is the big group text going out to everybody. You better pay attention because a lot of times the enemy's attacking. They blow the horns. You better grab your weapons and you better get ready because it's time to fight. Or if God was calling the people together for some special reason, He wanted to meet with them and talk to them, tell them something, they'd blow the horns. And so they blow the horns. The Feast of Trumpet. And ten days later was probably the most important feast of all, the Day of Atonement. Now I gave a sermon on the Day of Atonement. I don't know, a month ago, I don't know if you remember that or not, but the thing that's so significant about the Day of Atonement, that was the day where the people were called to repent. Did you know this is the only day that God actually commanded everybody that they had to fast on this day, this particular day they had to fast? It's a day of repentance. It's a day of remembering our sins. It's a day of confessing sin. It's a day of being purified, a purification process. And all the sacrifices and the ceremonies, remember the two goats. Remember the scapegoat. All the sins were conferred and transferred to the head of the goat, and he was led out, away, into the wilderness. It was symbolic of the removal of sin from their midst. Remember how they had to cleanse the tabernacle and everything in it, the the temple, all these things had to be cleansed because of the residue of sin of the people and a holy God. A holy God is not present. He does not live in the midst of sin. And remember the whole thing about the book of Leviticus, is that problem how in the world can sinful people draw near to a holy God. It also was the end of the harvest season. Everything that they grew, and they grew a lot of different things, and various things were harvested at different times all during this period of time. But this was the end. This was the last. This was it. It It's over. The harvest season is over. So, the trumpet calls everyone to the day of atonement. One bull, one ram, seven lambs, food, grain, wine. And isn't it interesting that prophetically in Psalm 18, the first three verses, a messianic prophecy referring to Jesus himself. He is called the horn of my salvation. Now, what sense does that make? Why in the world would anybody call Jesus a horn? Well, if you know about the Feast of Trumpets, it all makes sense, doesn't it? And remember, in Luke chapter 1, remember John the Baptist's daddy, Zacharias? Everybody remember Zacharias? And he was given a prophetic word from God and referring to Jesus, he is referred to as the horn of our salvation. Jesus is the horn of our salvation. You see, Jesus Jesus calls you to repent of your sins. Jesus calls you to confess your sins. Jesus calls you to himself because he is the seven lambs, the bull, and the ram. He is the ram. Remember when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah and remember when he rose his knife and he's going to take the, the life of his only son, the miraculous son, not the son from his handmaid, but the son from his wife, Sarah. Remember that? And he drew the knife and God called out and stopped him. And he looked over and what was in the bush? A ram. Jesus is the ram. Jesus is the sacrifice that God gave for the sins of the world. And you know those trumpet calls were a call to fight? Jesus is our horn of salvation. And what does Colossians 2.15 say? Says he triumphed over the principalities and the powers at his resurrection from the dead. Jesus defeated Satan. He defeated all the demonic, evil powers of the world when Jesus rose from the dead. He is the victor. He is the horn of our salvation. He has put all things under his feet, Ephesians 1 says. Philippians 2, every knee shall bow to him. He is our king, our victorious king over all. And that's what the Feast of Trumpets points to. Well ten days later, the Day of Atonement did you know the Jews to this day believe that Judgment Day is going to come on the Day of Atonement. They still believe that. All that bringing your sins to God, confessing sins, God purifying, God taking care of sins, that reminds you of the Day of Judgment, doesn't it? And so that lasted one day, the trumpets lasted one day and then they had the Day of Atonement ten days later and then The last feast of all was the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents. Isn't that something? What a weird feast. God told everybody you go get a really nice flourishing beautiful branch of a tree. Like we're talking about a tree planted by the river. And you get that, and you build a tent. It can be in your front yard or backyard or where whatever, but it's, it's right outside your house. You build a tent, and your family's going to camp out in a tent for a whole week. And you're not going to work any in that week. The whole week, nobody works. Well, here's what we're going to do that week. We're going to party. We're going to party for a whole week. That is literally what they did. They celebrated, they partied for a whole week, but they did it while they're sleeping and living in tents for that week. Now, what did that commemorate? It commemorated the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. They were nomads moving from place to place, living in tents see there's something about sleeping out camping out there's something about looking up in the stars on a clear night there's something that hits you about the majesty of god when you look at the constellations when you see the galaxies There's something about remembering God. And God wanted his people to always remember that he was with his people all during that 40 years. I think it's in in Isaiah, maybe somewhere else. You can correct me. But there's a passage there where God uses the prophet to call them back to to remind them, did did you realize that your shoes never wore out? Do you realize that? Forty years in the wilderness, nobody had to get new shoes. Do you realize I fed you for 40 years? Do Do you realize I gave you food to eat and water to drink? Do you realize your clothes didn't wear out? Do you realize that? God reminded them that all the while on their journey, he was with them. He took care of them. And folks, there's something, there's something about this celebration on the very last day, the day of praise, the day where they were ending one year and beginning a new year and they would pray for the rain so that next year the crop would come, the harvest would come. And there's a lot said in the scriptures about the early rains and the latter rains. There's a lot, man, there's so many connections in all this. I don't have the time to go into all of that, but I'm going to tell you this. All the seasons in the agricultural year, all the celebrations that they made because they were so happy of what God was doing for them and what God would do for them, all of these things came to fruition in Jesus. And in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, on on the last day, the Bible says, of that great feast, this is the last feast. This is feast number 7. What does 7 represent? Complete, whole. This is it. This is the last one. What does 7 represent in creation? Day of rest. God ceased from all his works. What was one of the commands about these seven days? Nobody work. Nobody work. We're just going to party. You know, I want to do more studying about this. And, and when I feel good about what I've learned and ready, I'm going to give a lesson one day, hopefully not too far down the road, of how we are all Gonna go back to Eden. What God is doing is He's recreating Eden. Maybe not that exact plot of land or whatever. You know, I don't I don't know. I I got a lot to learn here. But there's so many hints. There's so many. Remember that beautiful tree down by the river where they were to get get the they weren't to get some raggedy old tree. You don't get no branch of some old half-dead elm tree out in Midland, Texas. No, 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 no. A, a, a beautiful, flourishing tree. What might that represent in Eden? The tree of life. The tree of life. What about? In the book of Revelation, when you read about that river that flows from the throne of God and all those trees and the leaves are for the healing of the nations, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. That's the kind of stuff that God has planned for us. That's, that's what God is doing. And folks, don't forget it. And that's why we have these rituals and symbols and feasts and celebrations because we don't ever want to forget that that's why we call people together that's why you're called together on the Lord's day that's why you're called together on Sunday morning that's why this is important that's why this is important because it all takes us back to everything that God has done everything that he's doing and everything that he's going to do everything he's got planned for you and it's worth celebrating. It's worth having great joy, being filled with joy. And no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's happening in the world, it cannot rob us of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And so you come here every week and you take the body and the blood of the Lord so you will never forget. And it will always be on the front of your mind of everything that our sweet Jesus has done.